family. We all have one. While some of us loved our growing up years, others of us couldn't wait to move out and start fresh. Either way, we all want our future family to be a step up from our families of origin. Most of us want something better for our children. But what does the ideal future for our family look like? Join us at Adventure Christian Church for a new series that explores God's perfect vision for your family. A vision that will leave a lasting legacy for generations to come. Welcome, adventurers, to our new uh, series on family, Future Family, authored by Andy Stanley. We're going to enjoy it all month. Uh, Today's message uh, is going to ask this question. Uh, Are you going to embrace the ideal family, Uh, even if you don't experience its reality uh, in its fullness in your life, or will you be tempted to settle for a less ideal, a more real experience of family that might make you more comfortable with where you already are in your own life? Will you embrace the ideal or will you embrace uh, the real? That's the question we're going to ask today. Um, If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And all month, we're going to talk about family. Next week, we're going to talk about Uh, the most important question every family should ask. The most important question. If today doesn't do anything for you, you don't want to miss next weekend. If you have friends that are having some challenging family situations, next weekend we'll really ask a question that every family needs to answer. And then the following Sunday will be a special artist weekend. We'll have guest artists. Uh, Scott and Darnisha Taylor will be here sharing uh, in worship with us as well as sharing their family story that was featured on Dr. Oz uh, this summer. And then we'll have a message on quarreling, how to take the edge out of quarreling or fighting in the home. Do any of you, any of you fight in the home? Wow, we've been in church for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and already no one's telling the truth here. Oh, we got one? Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about uh, how to take the edge out of a family quarrel. And then I'm going to share... Uh, everything I've learned about parenting, birth through 23. And uh, I promise it'll be a bad sermon. You'll, you won't like it. Uh, you'll totally disagree. I, I would ask you to consider joining me on a letter writing campaign to ask my wife to join me on the platform. And she can tell you what we've learned and uh, how she raised uh, five boys, my four sons and myself. So that's coming up later this month. When we talk about family, the first thing we got to acknowledge is it's so diverse. We all have such a diverse experience. Uh, Many of us are having the blessing right now in our church of having adopted uh, new children, uh, which began as foster care, and then we got to adopt some new kids that are in our children's ministry on Sunday mornings. I just love it. I love to see these kids that are here, and I'm so excited for these families. We have families that are still praying, and we're praying with them that they'll have a chance to have the kind of family that God wants to give them. Uh, We have other families that, uh, like the one I was raised in, that are in a blended home where uh, there's there has been uh, there's different brothers and sisters together from different moms and dads. We have a very diverse background when it comes to family, and so yet just because it's diverse doesn't mean it's not sensitive. You can't 
say words like dad or mom and it not evoke some kind of emotion. They're not neutral titles. Uh, when you talk about brother or sister, if they can be sensitive, sensitive roles that we've had a varying exposure to. Uh, and when we talk about family, the question is, what, what can we all come to the same page on? I mean, what do we really have in common? I think there's a couple pieces that we all have in common as it relates to family. Number one, we didn't choose our own family. Our own family of origin chose us. We didn't have any choice in the matter. (laughs) The second thing we have in common in your family, no one's as smart as you. You're the smartest person in your family. How many of you are like, yeah, finally I hear something I agree with. (laughs) When it comes to figuring out family, no one understands it better than you, right? (laughs) Right. Although I can tell you, as I get older, what I used to view as a simple question, a simple issue, it's not as simple anymore. Family issues are more challenging and force, force me to ask deeper questions. And so uh, this morning, we begin this journey on family. Now, let's talk about briefly the, what the Bible says about family. <laughs> what it says about family is done very poorly. <laughs> there are very few great examples of family in the Bible. Let's start with Jesus. <laughs> Where's Jesus? That's the question. Everyone was asking about his family. No one knew. His family left him in Jerusalem at the temple. His mom or dad didn't know where he was. He was missing. That's what we know about Jesus' family in the early days. We know going back in Holy Writ that Adam and Eve started their family and Adam chose his wife, Eve, over God. And according to John Aldridge, a well-known writer for marriage and family life issues, men have been choosing women or their wives over God ever since. Their family had some real breakdown early, and they experienced some separation from God. And things got terrible in their family. Can you imagine having two sons, one that kills the other, the first homicide in the Bible? In their family, wow, welcome to family. Or one of the first civil wars that happened in the Bible was uh, between, this is in the nation of Israel, was between a dad, David, and his son Absalom. (laughs) Biblical families are not anything to really get excited about. There's some good narratives in Genesis, but there's also, you'll read them and then you're like, what? (laughs) Lot did what? I mean, you're just, it's repulsive. There's a lot of rated R, very mature graphic stuff in the Bible about family that's hard to get really excited about. And so when I share with you how Jesus described the ideal family, I want to remind you that what he introduced was really stunning for the first century Roman Greco or Greco-Roman Mediterranean culture. What Jesus brought to family, you're going to think, well, that's grandma's template of what a family should look like. Or what Jesus says about family, you're going to say, who doesn't know that? What you have to remember is that what Jesus introduced to the first century culture, the Greco-Roman culture, elevated the status of children and women unlike any other 
had ever done. This was a day in which uh, uh, when, when children and women didn't get involved in public life. Uh, they were to be separate from what the men did in public. So when Jesus said to a crowd, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven, it was a staggering invitation. He's inviting children to come be a part of the public sector. In fact, the, the key point Jesus makes is that men and women and children are all equal at the foot of the cross. Men, women, and children are all equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus elevated the role, the, the, the status of children. In a day when the infant mortality rate was so high that parents would often go without naming their children for quite a while until they were more confident that they were going to live, that they were going to survive. Uh, also, sometimes a parent who didn't think that his child was very responsible would adopt another child and make that adopted child the heir, the beneficiary of his estate. <laughs> now, there's an idea. Just kidding. Uh, but there is a, but children were treated like sometimes just like a slave, just like a cow, just like a horse. <laughs> You just tell them what to do, and they obey, and uh, you have, some of you kids that are in here are like, uh, isn't it still that way? Uh, you, you just felt lower class. You had no rights at all. Women were no different. Women were elevated a little higher than children, but they were not inv- involved in the public sector of life. They were often treated harshly. Uh, they were... Um, expected to serve in their roles and stay out of the public life, men would sometimes treat their wives like they would their slave, treat them harshly like they would even their animal. Some say there's your cow, your dog, and your wife. In fact, there's a saying in some of the uh, the religious sects, I thank thee, God, that I'm not a, uh, a goy, Or a Gentile, I thank thee, God, that I'm not a woman. Very condescending. And so you have to know that before I share with you what kind of ideal Jesus brought to the first century. Because when I share it with you, you're going to say, that's just what we were all born into, isn't it? No. What I'm going to share with you did not come from our forefathers. It did not come from our, uh, our, the founding fathers of our country. What I'm going to share with you was placed into the first century Middle Eastern culture. And when Jesus shared this, it was mind-boggling. It was so elevating of men, uh, of women and children. And let me say this. Whenever a... Biblical Christian worldview of marriage and family life is disregarded. Whenever, wherever there is disregard of the New Testament Christian view of marriage and family life, it is always done on the backs of women and children. Wherever and whenever a culture moves away 
from the most elevated view of family life that comes from the writings of Jesus, whenever that's done, the people who pay for it are the women and the children. And to the degree in America that we're moving away from, and some segments already have, moving away from the ideal view of family, the people who pay the price are women and children just like they did before Jesus introduced the ideal. Okay, how would you like to see the ideal? And can you, are you willing to see it without getting too sensitive? Just nod your head and say, yeah. Okay, here we are. I'm going to start in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. I'm going to reference a couple other texts. One of them is in 1 Peter. I'm going to go right through them. I'm going to read them slowly. And you're going to hear what was like, and I mean this in the pure, I mean this, what was mind-boggling for a first century ear to hear from Jesus. I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 3. Here it is. Actually, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to start in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be there. If you're there, stay there. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Here it is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment, with a promise. Boom. <sighs> Colossians. So far, so good, right? You're like, yeah, we get those kids. They heard that one today. You hear that, Sonny? Yes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives. You with me, wives? Sub. Oh, it's hard to say. <laughs> Submit yourselves to your husbands. Uh, You don't know my husband. (laughs) As is fitting in the Lord. Hang in there, wives. We're circling back to you. Good news is coming, okay? Even better news. Verse 19. You would have never heard verse 19 in the first century. Husbands. Not, Not like Jesus emphasized it and like he described it. Husbands. Love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Be gentle. Verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. (laughs) Wow, this is the one that honestly weighs heavy on me. How often I've done this. The word is also translated exasperate. How often I've had good intentions about giving my sons a word of encouragement or uh, direction or an admonition. And I just lobbed instead of it just being a little bit of encouragement. It became a you do this and you'll win. You don't. Life is over. My encouragement becomes paralyzing even to some degree, can become very judgmental. 
what they say is that a, a wife of a home, what a mom speaks, the weight of her words is about 25 pounds. But when a father speaks in the home, the weight of his words is about 500 pounds. It's appropriate, it's understandable why Jesus would say, Dads, don't exasperate your children. And then the final, the final uh, piece of the ideal family that uh, one of Jesus' writers shares comes from Peter, the A-type personality of the New Testament. And he says again to husbands, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing will hinder your prayers. What's he saying here? He's saying, husbands, your wife, husbands, you have a heavenly father. Your wife has a heavenly father. He's the same Heavenly Father. You both share the same Heavenly Father. You both have our current heirs of everything Christ is giving the church. So you share the same Father. You're both heirs. Do you know what this means? You're, you're brothers and sisters as it relates to being heirs of Christ. Your wife is not just your wife, man. She's your sister in Christ. Treat her like a sister in Christ. Treat her with gentleness and respect. Because if you don't, it'll affect the communication. Can you hear me now? With your prayers with God. (laughs) Mm. Maybe today as you leave service, man, I challenge you. Say, hey, sister, can I take you out to lunch? Hey, sister, uh, what can I do around the house to make your Sunday evening pleasant? We treat each other like sisters. Okay, so this is the, uh, this was, this deal landed in the first century was a picture of the ideal family, okay? If we were to summarize it here, uh, it's, here it is. It's uh, children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, Fathers, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Um. Fathers, uh, treat your wives as sisters. That's it. That's the ideal. Wow. That's, that's it. Done. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> easy. <laughs> Go do it. <laughs> it's, it's no problem, right? I got this. No problem. Do <laughs> you feel the tension? Really? Just go do it. It's, we're just done. It's simple. That's the ideal. The question we're going to ask today is, are we willing to embrace an ideal that we ourselves may not have experienced yet, we may not fully experience? Or will we be tempted to reach out and settle for something that's more real to us because we're willing to settle because we're more comfortable in our reality than the ideal that Jesus proposed? We're going we're gonna to embrace the ideal and hold on to it? 
and open ourselves to some of the pain of, of our own mistakes or those that have surrounded us? Or are we just going to be tempted to succumb to what, what is actually more real and makes us feel more comfortable? To the degree in America that we are leaving the ideal out of a desire for freedom and choice, what's real is that children and mothers are going to pay the price in our country. So how do we deal with uh, ideal and real? I, I hope you feel some tension here. There is tension with today. How did Jesus deal with what is ideal and what is real? Here's what we know about Jesus. He always raised the standard higher. Here's an example. The law of Moses. The law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. That's the, uh, the act of having sexual intimacy outside of your marriage. The law of Moses says, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully as if to commit adultery with her, you've already done it. <laughs> Jesus always raises the standard higher. But when he raises the standard higher, the grace goes deeper. Jesus always raises the standard higher. And when he does, the forgiveness is richer. Jesus always raises the standard higher, but the inclusiveness is broader. Will you embrace the ideal standard? Of course, uh, Jesus' teaching on adultery now indicts uh, his whole audience. Wow. What what are you going to do to all these men now, Jesus, that have uh, committed adultery now that you've all nailed us? (laughs) Maybe there's one exception out of a thousand who hasn't looked at a woman and thought, wow, yeah, that's enough. Jesus says, I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to the cross. As the standard gets higher, grace gets deeper. As the standard gets higher, forgiveness gets richer. As the standard gets higher, inclusiveness gets broader. Jesus will never leave someone condemned that doesn't meet the ideal. Someone that's willing to put faith in him, he'll never leave them. You should sense this gap between the ideal and the real. And it is no more clearer than in another narrative that I want to take you to that really exposes the tension here. It's related to family, and I want to warn you, even as I get there this morning, it could make you sensitive, so hang in there with me. I want nothing more than you to understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love and grace of Jesus Christ today. Can we agree to that as we go forward and look at something? Uh, there is no desire on my part to, to, uh, to have a gotcha moment here. If, if you get one, it's because the Holy Spirit. Can we agree with that? Open your Bibles or Google Matthew chapter 19. Because this is an example where when Jesus is asked about a very sensitive issue that is still an issue for us, that the standard didn't get lower, he, the standard went higher. But grace went deeper. Forgiveness was richer. Inclusiveness became broader. 
Matthew chapter 19, what we have is the religious, right, the conservatives asking Jesus to actually speak into what was a controversy in their day, which was whether or not and how a man or woman can seek a certificate of divorce, how they can get divorced. And the Pharisees had very conservative views. The Sadducees were more liberal. They thought you can get a divorce anytime. You have to understand in the first century that a man had a way easier time getting a divorce than a woman. A man could just say, hey, I want a divorce. In some areas, he could get a divorce because his wife wasn't cooking well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and rampant divorce was not... uh, present necessarily in the first century, but if a man wanted to get divorced, it was way easier. All he had to do is say, hey, I want a divorce, I want a divorce, I want a divorce. Women had very little rights. If a woman wanted a divorce, it was like, well, she got her dowry back was significant, but if they had children, too bad, so sad, now you're dad. There was not a lot of grace at all. And so Jesus, trying to elevate and support the role of women and children. Jesus is asked to speak into this very, this, this uh, continuum of the Sadducee, very liberal position, which a guy can just get divorced whenever he wants, <laughs> totally protecting um, men. And then the Pharisees are like, no, there are only certain reasons a man can get a divorce, adultery being the one. Uh, and so I want you to see this narrative because Jesus actually appeals to something that's a higher standard. Here it is. Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The Sadducee, liberal position. Haven't you read, verse 4, I love that. Jesus gives them a little poke. They were students. He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Let's read that together. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What will the two become? One flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Notice Jesus. He, he rises above their argument and appeals to even a higher standard. They're saying, Moses gave... Uh, authorization for a man to get a divorce. They begin in verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Okay, hold on. Let's back up. Back up with me. Back up to verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, Jesus is, don't miss this, don't miss this. You could easily get distracted by the way that ended. Jesus is appealing to a higher standard. They're saying, hey, Moses, in the law of Moses, Moses authorized divorce through a certificate. Jesus saying, whoa, 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 pre-Moses, pre-Moses, at the beginning God's, God the Creator's intention, the ideal from the beginning was that a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh and that what God hath 
brought together, no man should separate. The higher standard is this. You can't un-one what God has made one. The higher standard is you can't un-one what God has made one. And so they're freaking out. What are you saying? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. We're asking you which is right. You're telling us something different. You're appealing to an ideal. <laughs> You're appealing to something that goes way back. Jesus himself. What are you saying? Are, are, you, are you saying that there's a new rule? Is this a new rule? Are you letting everyone off the hook? What's the answer? What are you saying? The answer is yes. What are you going to do to all the people that have committed divorce? He would say, I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to the cross. You see, he says it over and over in the Gospels. There's this tension between the ideal and the real. And Jesus fills the gap of that tension by not condemning those that don't meet the ideal. Because let's be honest, how many of us have? Did we want that rule? We've got to remember the purpose of the law of Moses was to show us we could not keep it. That was the purpose of the law. The Ten Commandments were to show you you couldn't keep it. (laughs) You might say, oh, I'm different. Oh, really? You've never coveted your neighbor's house? Or their beamer? (laughs) You're good, if not. Or his wife or husband? The standard got higher, but grace... Grace got deeper. The standard is always getting higher. But forgiveness is richer. The standard's getting higher. But the inclusiveness is broader. All right, so what do we do? Are we willing, this is the question, are we willing to embrace the ideal future family, even if we've already missed out on components of it or not a lot is Favorable in sight. Are we willing to hold on to the ideal? Or will we be tempted with what is actually reality for our home and to settle for that current reality because it makes us feel more comfortable? And I would tell you that the latter of those two questions is the one that our country is moving towards. And the more and more we move away from this ideal that seems archaic, that seems like it came from your grandma. I've talked to my grandma recently, by the way. She lives in Billings. She's 95. Love her. But when you talk to her, you get the old template, the old standard, and you might think that's old. It's not that. It's way older than grandma. The ideal came from the lips of Jesus, and it elevated the status of women and children unlike any faith ever has. In fact, there are women in another religion that are fighting the own, their own tenets of their own faith so that they can have some of the rights and freedoms we have in this country. But the degree in this country, and some segments already have, that we move away from the ideal Christian worldview of family is the same proportionate degree that the weight of those decisions will be on our children 
our children's children, and the women and their daughters of our country. This is the ideal. No one's, no one's perfect at it, but what will you have, the ideal or the real? So what do we do with the tension? You should feel it. If you don't, you should feel some tension. What do you do with the tension? I want to challenge you to embrace it. Embrace the tension. How come? Because there's no grandfather who's had, uh, there's no grandfather who's had grandchildren who doesn't want those grandchildren to have a fantastic marriage and family life. There's no single mom who's unfortunately fallen prey to some tough circumstances and uh, that doesn't pray regularly for her daughter or her son to have a fantastic marriage someday. The truth is, in our heart of hearts, we want our families to have the ideal. And if you're willing to embrace the tension of your current reality and its perhaps separation from the ideal, embrace the tension, then you're taking a step forward by faith towards the ideal. You're taking a step forward to believe God can do something very special in your family. You may be here and think, okay, Pastor Scott, you've, your family, you just got it all together. Really? You think we do? It's not always, not always things aren't always what they, uh, what they uh, look like. My family's got to live with me. Can you imagine that? (laughs) If you're willing to embrace the tension, if you're willing to embrace what's real, you got a shot at Jesus bringing hope to not just your family, but the family your children have and to the family your children's children have. Can you imagine that? Good living. I shared just with one of my sons last night over over the kitchen island. I said, you know what? Our family's not perfect. And he said, Dad, it's pretty good. I was like, really? He goes, yeah, it's pretty good. But you know what? When I was 19 years old, I had to make a decision that I was going a different direction. I was going to pursue the ideal. It was a huge decision that affected my whole family. I said no to my patriotic grandpa who needed me. I said no because I knew if I did, it would, it would derail me. I made a huge decision, and I've, I've benefited from it ever since. And my grandfather and I were very close uh, later in life. Will you embrace the ideal, or will you be comfortable in the real? Let's pray. I want to pray for you. Oh, Jesus. I am so grateful for uh, the gift of family you give us. So grateful. I'm so grateful for uh, my sons, my mom, my wife, uh, my daughter-in-law. I love them inexpressibly. My sister and all my other brothers and sisters. So grateful for the family you've given us. But you know it's not been easy. There's been some reality that's been tough. And yet... Your grace has been poured out to help us experience you personally in our family. And I just pray that you'll pour the same broad, inclusive, deep, rich forgiveness on all of us to help us enjoy our future families because they're at stake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.